Lord, we thank you for your great grace. Lord, we, we have not known, Lord, the, um, the ability to produce the righteousness on our own. And it's through you, it's through all that you've done for us that we uh, rest in. And we, Lord, celebrate the work that you're doing inside of us, in our community, and in our church, Lord. So we just say to you, in this moment, God, move powerfully, minister to your people, and deliver your truth to them, Lord. Might they become closer to you than they've ever come before. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So over the next few weeks, as I get to share with you, I want to cover uh, a series. I want to create a series, rather, called Two-Thirds is Not Enough. And I want to focus in on the Holy Spirit so that we, we can really grow in our understanding, grow in our anointing. Really, it's the Spirit's power that wants to flow through your personality. He wants to, you to fulfill the calling that is on your life and live in that zone where you are extremely useful to Him. And I believe that there is something unique on the horizon for every one of us, for us as a church collectively. And I believe that if we focus on the Holy Spirit over the next three or four weeks, I think we will benefit greatly. I know I will. Now, I had a friend ask me an interesting question. What, he asked me, he says, what, what are the strengths of COS? And without missing a beat, I replied, I think we are a diverse collection of believers. Just look around, right? We are pretty diverse in our background. We've got all kinds of denominational backgrounds represented within this house. And I believe that to be a great testimony of God's love and God's blessing on Church of the Savior. Really, there's not another church out there like this that I'm aware of, really. We collect in here. We call each other family. We are family. And it's wonderful because that is a testimony to the world on the outside. When they look for a place there's unity, they can look to Church of the Savior. And I'm encouraged by that. And I also just want to recognize that, given my denominational background, my fellowship, as we jump into the Holy Spirit, I'm not advocating for a particular denomination or fellowship. I just want you to know that up front, that I realize that we're talking about the Holy Spirit, which is active in every person, which is active in, which He is active in every denomination, and fellowship. So I just want to kind of throw that out there. But what I really want to do is I want to take you to a conversation that takes place. Most theologians uh, think during the last 12 to 15 hours of Jesus's life. If you were to look at John chapter 14, you would find Jesus with his disciples in the upper room, not the upper room probably during Pentecost, but he's in this upper room eating the last supper, talking with his disciples. And if you were to look at verse 31, Jesus says, hey, uh, let's arise and go from here. And they would start moving in the direction of the Mount of Olives. And most theologians believe that chapter 15 is when he kind of gives them an illustrated message by saying, hey, I'm the vine and you are the branches, illustrating right there with real life props. And then in John chapter 14, 15, and 16, these are all the last things that he says to his disciples before he's crucified. So these last things that he's sharing are terribly important. I see the main context is this, that Jesus is saying, hey, listen, I'm going to go away, but don't be troubled because I'm going to send somebody else. And he's starting to introduce to them the Holy Spirit. Look with me at John chapter 14, verses 16 through 17. The scripture says here, and I will pray the Father, or pray to the Father, this is in the New King James Version, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Notice the word helper there. We're going to see it four times this morning. Also, notice the words I underlined. The Bible never refers to the Holy Spirit as an it, because he's not an it. He is a person, and if you don't see him as a person, then you won't develop a personal relationship with him. You develop personal relationships with people, with persons, right? So it's very important that we understand and internalize in our hearts that he really is the third person of the Trinity. This is why two-thirds is not enough. 
Many times we talk about the Father and we talk about the Son, but rarely do we really focus in on the personhood of the Holy Spirit. And without that part of the Trinity, without that person of the Trinity, we miss out on a whole lot of God. Amen? Because two-thirds is not enough. Consider with me John chapter 14. This is Jesus. And he says, These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you to remembrance all things that I have said to you. So we've seen the word Helper mentioned twice, and I think that's encouraging. How many of you need a little extra help in this life? Amen. John chapter 15, verse 26 says, But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. So we've seen the word helper three times. John chapter 16, verse 7 says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. So he's not lying to us. It is to your advantage that I go away. Now imagine being in these guys' shoes. Can you imagine being with Jesus in person? And then he says, hey, listen, it's going to be to your advantage that I leave you. I would never want Jesus to leave. I might lock the door, right? I might handcuff myself. No, this is getting weird. But you wouldn't want Jesus to leave your presence either, right? But here Jesus is saying something quite strange. He's saying, listen, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, but if I depart, I will send him to you. John chapter 16, verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. So think about this. Jesus is saying, I've still got more to share with you, but you can't handle it right now. What I'm about to tell you is going to be really hard to believe. Interesting, isn't it? Look at verse 13. However, when he, the spirit of truth has come, He will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. So this should settle it for us, really, just obviously. The Holy Spirit speaks, and he wants to talk to you. He wants to speak to you individually, and he will tell you about things that are to come. So he wants to talk to you. He wants to talk to me. The word helper here that we've seen four times, comes from the Greek word parakletos. Uh, The English version would say paraklete, but the the original would be parakletos. Para means alongside. Kletos means to come. So this is a helper to come alongside. This is what Jesus is really saying. He says, I'm going to send you a helper that will come alongside you in this life. And we understand that really from, from the etymology of the word. The word roots represented here. We see words like parable. We know the word parable, right? That's Greek for para, alongside, bole, which means throwing. Jesus would share a parable, right? He would throw a story alongside a truth to help us understand what he was communicating. We know the word paragraph, right? Para means alongside. Graphe means to write. So you might literally say writings you put alongside each other. That would be paragraph. Parakletos, really. This word can be translated helper. It can be translated intercessor. It can be translated, some of you are familiar with the old King James Version, comforter. That's a good encouraging word, right? How many of you have ever needed comfort in this life? Comforter. That's a good word. Now, when I was growing up, I, I remember one night I was sleeping or trying to sleep. We had moved from Arizona to Kentucky, and I wasn't used to the colder weather in Kentucky. I know that sounds, you know, kind of weird, but I mean, when you move from Phoenix to Kentucky, it's cooler. And I remember one night, you know, I'd wrap myself up real tight in my blanket and, in, you know, in my sheet. And, and I had been told, my mom had told me, she says, you know, You've got this comforter here, and it was a cool comforter. It had like the Navajo print on it. I was totally down. It had a good look to it, right? And it was nice and fluffy. But she told me, she said, listen, this is just for looks. And I said, oh, okay. So I don't get to use it. And she says, no, no, just, just lay it at the end of your bed. Use your blanket, right? Well, that one night, I was particularly cold. And I woke up, and I was kind of shivering. And I was looking down there at, at, at the comforter. And I thought, you know, I know mom told me I I shouldn't use the comforter, that it's just there for looks, but do you see how skinny I am, right? Man, it it takes a lot to keep me warm, right? I love big blankets, man. Lay it on me. I have a reindeer skin I sleep under sometimes. Now it hangs in my office. But, you know, the, the thing is, 
you know, I was cold, right? I was absolutely miserable. I was on the borderline of like going and turning the heat up on my own. So instead of dying in my bed, I grabbed that comforter and I wrapped myself up like a mummy and I warmed up just perfectly, right? But I wonder here this morning, how many believers have a comforter in your life that's just for looks? You're miserable in this life. You're shivering, you're cold. So let me just make it abundantly clear that the Holy Spirit isn't just for looks. He's for use, my friends. He wants to empower you. He wants to help you live this life out in a dynamic way better than anything you could ever imagine. And so instead of sitting there in the corner of your bed shivering and cold and wondering, when's this life going to be over? Why don't you turn yourself to the Holy Spirit and say, fill me up. Do that dramatic thing. You're the helper. You're the comforter. And you're for use. I want you in my life. And when you open your yourself up like that, you will experience the warmth, the warmth that comes from God himself. It's supernatural warmth. So when it turns cold outside, you're warm on the inside. You're impervious to the weather. The enemy will send your way. That doesn't have to be your story. You can have the Holy Spirit just like that. So let me share, amen, three things that he would like to do for you. He's my helper, number one. He's my helper. Many times he helps me to know what to say, right? He, he helps me know, you know, what to say. Many times, and I'm sure you've had this experience, you pray for somebody, you minister to somebody, and you might share a bit of truth that they really needed to hear. You might reiterate a verse that they were pondering in, the, you know, in their own heart, wondering where God was in the situation, and God uses you dramatically in that moment. God is helping you through his Holy Spirit to share what needs to be shared in that moment. And when they say, how did you know that? You, you don't turn around and pat yourself on the back and say, it's because I'm a good person. No, you, you turn around and you recognize the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, sharing what needed to be shared praying what needed to be prayed in that moment. So God is our helper. The Holy Spirit is our helper. Uh, another way he helps me and would like to help you is not to say certain things. How many of you have ever felt a little check in your heart and you know, oh, I shouldn't say that, right? But then you turn around and you say it anyway. How many of you have ever been there, right? And then later on, you're like, man, I, I, I shouldn't have said that, right? And the Holy Spirit was trying to communicate to you in those moments, hey, this is not something you need to say. And by the way, my friends, the devil lays traps like that for us all the time, often using other people to get us to say what shouldn't be said. So the truth is here, he helps us say things and not say things, but I want to pull three specific and dynamic helps he gives us out of John chapter 16. And at the same time, I want to illustrate how the Holy Spirit has kind of gotten a bad rap within the church in general. If you look at verse 8, the scripture says, and when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. Whew. So when he comes, he's going to do these three things. He's going to convict the world of sin righteousness and judgment. And I think we often see that in a negative light, right? Who those are those are big things. Conviction of sin, righteousness and judgment. But the next 3 verses really explain what he's trying to communicate. So let's look at those 3 verses together. Look at John chapter 16 verse 9. He's convicting of sin because they do not believe in me. Verse 10, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Verse 11, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. So, let's start from the beginning. The Holy Spirit convicts of our sin of sin because they do not believe. So let me tell you why I believe that God convicts you, why the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin. It's because if you don't understand and believe that you're a sinner, that I'm a sinner, a dirty sinner, then I'll never need a savior, right? If I don't know, I'm ashamed of some of my sin and that's good. The Holy Spirit gets in there. And he heaps some conviction on my little, little dirty heart. And he says, listen, that's wrong. And it gets to a supernatural crescendo. And then I recognize the fact that I'm a sinner. And I need a Savior. And you can't get saved until you know you're a sinner. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. The conviction, really, if you think about it, if you think about that dynamic moment, that all-important moment when you really made that turn in your life, and you gave your 
life to Christ, there was heavy conviction. I remember praying, I must have been in first, second, third grade with my parents and feeling such heavy conviction. I know, I know I was young, but I still felt the conviction. The Holy Spirit was still working, and he still works in your children, first, second, third grade. And he brings the conviction, and I felt the conviction. I felt such shame as I confessed my sin in my prayer. But I will tell you, I'll tell you this, I felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit. But the sweet relief of being saved? Ooh, it doesn't get much better than that, right? Have you ever been forgiven? The wonderful experience of forgiveness? It doesn't feel much better. The relief that comes off your back, the relief that comes off your chest, the the freedom you feel in your heart of going, oh, I've been freed of my sin. There's nothing like it. The forgiveness of being saved. I love it. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says this, no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So it's the Holy Spirit leading us to Jesus. This is not negative because he's going to convict the world of sin because they don't believe in Jesus. We want the world to believe in Jesus. I want you to believe in Jesus. I want us to all believe in Jesus. He does that convicting so that we will believe, we will really believe in our hearts that we need Jesus. How many of you need Jesus? Yeah. The Holy Spirit convicts. You and I both of sin. John chapter 16, verse 10 says, the Holy Spirit convicts of righteousness because I go to the Father. I go to my Father and you will see me no more. He's saying you're not going to see or hear me like you were before because I'm going to go to the Father's right hand and I'm going to be making intercession for you. I'm going to bring the two of you together. You can have a relationship because of my work. You can't have a relationship with a holy God because you're sinful. And he's saying, I'm going to take care of that sin. And from now on, you and the Father can have a real, authentic relationship that was previously unavailable. And we read that the Holy Spirit convicts us of righteousness. He said, I'm going to convict them of righteousness, not righteous living. Not righteous living. Now, The Holy Spirit will convict us to live rightly, to do the right thing, to live righteously, but that's not what's being talked about here. Righteousness is being talked about. Righteousness means being in right standing with God. So the conviction convinces us. When you're convicted, you're convinced. If you have a conviction, you're convinced that you should live in a certain way in a certain area of your life. See, he wants to convince you that because you have believed in Jesus, you are now in right standing with God. Isn't that good? That's a good thing to be convicted about. That's a good thing to be convinced about, right? Because if you're not convinced by this great work of Christ that you are now in right standing with God, what you and I will inevitably do is try to earn our religious freedom. Earn it with religious brownie points. Oh, I did this. I read that book. I did that devotional. I did this and I did that. And it really does come back down to what you were able to perform for the Lord. And that's not what's being talked about here. You're in right standing because of what Christ has done. That is what he's trying to convince us of. That's the conviction that he wants us to have in our heart. And I'll tell you this, that will bring a great deal of freedom, joy, and, and even happiness in your own life when you have that sort of bubbling forth out of, out of who you are. You're not trying to earn your way, my friends. You had this solid, absolute conviction that it was Christ's work on the cross that made you right before the Lord because you chose to believe, because he came and got you, because the Holy Spirit convicted you of sin. Oh, I get excited about this, so forgive me. John chapter 16, verse 11, the Holy Spirit convicts us of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. So take note, the ruler of this world is judged. See, at this point, the ruler of the world is Satan. Consider this in John chapter 12, verse 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. John chapter 14, verse 30, I will no longer talk much with you. For the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing on me. Or in other words, he has no power over me. See, he's talking about Satan here. He's saying, hey, listen, Satan, his his reign is about to end. I am dethroning Satan. I'm going to take away his authority. I'm going to strip him of his place and his position, and he will no longer have dominion over your life. 
So this is how the Holy Spirit has been misunderstood, okay? We think the Holy Spirit has come to convict you of sin, righteousness, and judgment, right? He's coming to convict you that, hey, listen, you're a sinner, you're not living right, and uh, God's going to get you. He's going to judge you, right? That's, that's the message we've gotten out of these verses many times. But if you flip it on its side and you realize exactly what's being said, you can read it this way. You can understand that he's coming to convict you of your need for a Savior. And once you've accepted the Savior, he convicts you that you are in now right standing with God. He also convicts you that Satan has had all of his authority over your life taken away, that you're free, that he no longer has power over your life. That is the conviction that we're talking about. This conviction is the conviction that the Holy Spirit wants to develop within your life. When you have that conviction, you'll have an extra amount of grit. You'll have an extra amount of understanding and steadiness in your relationship. You'll also have the great joy of knowing, hey, listen, Satan doesn't have any authority over me. He doesn't have any power over me. I've been set free. I had these convictions, and I understand that I was brought to the place where I understood I needed a Savior. And then... The Holy Spirit helped me understand, and he gave me the conviction that through Jesus, I am in right standing. I am made righteous with God. And then I've also come to the conclusion, and I have the conviction that Satan no longer has any authority or power over my life. Can I get an amen? That's the conviction he wants us to develop. That's the work of the Holy Spirit he would like. He is my helper. Number two, he is my friend, and he is not a weirdo. (laughs) <laughs> you know, if my, um, I've probably preached this a couple times to my kids, but listen, the problem here is that we've seen people talk about the Holy Spirit, and they're weird, right? Can I tell you something? They'd be weird without the Holy Spirit. In fact, Harvard Business Review, they published these white papers and they did this in-depth study on people and they determined that one in three people are weird. So if you look to your left, look to your right, and both those people look normal, (laughs) it's really not one out of three, it's, it's two out of three. Anyway, here's my point. Many people see weird people and they think then the Holy Spirit's weird. But let me just say this, and I I would write this down um, because I probably stole this from somebody else. You can be a normal person and believe in the Spirit, believe in the person of the Spirit, and have the power of the Holy Spirit working in your life. You can be normal, whatever normal is. Some of us didn't get that gene of normalcy, so we struggle, and you accept us anyway, and I thank you for that. It's a joke. When I was young, there was a televangelist type portraying the Holy Spirit power, while at the same time flamboyantly strutting about like a, like a weirdo. Satan can use and has used these sorts of personalities to deter people from the Holy Spirit. But let me just say this again. You can be normal and believe in the Holy Spirit. Trust in the Holy Spirit. Allow him to use you and empower who God created you to be. You can have that experience. So who do you think made people or wanted to make people afraid of the Holy Spirit? It was, it was the devil, right? It was Satan himself. When the first church received the Holy Spirit, thousands of people got saved. They healed the sick. They cast demons out of people, and they raised people from the dead. And they turned the world upside down. Acts chapter 17, verse 6 says, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. What a wonderful testimony that could be for you and I in Church of the Savior. That people would turn around and say, Those are the people turning our community upside down for His glory. 
These are the people that must have the power of God working through their lives. That could be our testimony. That could be your testimony. That could be the testimony of our church. That's what God, I believe, wants to do with COS. So when the power of the Holy Spirit, the revelation of who he was and the understanding of the Holy Spirit kind of returned to the world in the early 1900s, because up until that point, many times the Holy Spirit had been really understood, but there was a great revival sweeping the nation, sweeping the world, really. Satan said, listen, I've got to mess this up. And he stirred up controversy and focused on one gift of the Holy Spirit and started splitting the church apart. And we still live in many of those fragments, right? But the Holy Spirit is integral. He's important, and he's personal, and he wants to help you. He's your friend, and he's not a weirdo. Consider this. There's the benefits of the Holy Spirit being your friend. He gives you power, number one. You will receive power from the Holy Spirit when he comes upon you, the power to witness specifically. Number two, you'll be able to love. Right in the middle of Paul's writings in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he's talking about love. Book ended on that in chapter 12 and chapter 14. He's talking about the gifts, but right smack dab in the middle of a bunch of conversations about the Holy Spirit and the giftings of the Holy Spirit and the operations of the Holy Spirit, he's talking about love. You'll have the ability to love people in a magnificent way that you never thought possible. Number three, you'll have fruit. You'll be able to grow the fruit of the Spirit that tasty fruit that the world needs to see growing in our lives, needs to taste as they come up to you and say, what is going on in your world? Number four, you'll receive the gifts, all the gifts, not just one. So number one, he's my helper. Number two, he's my friend, and he's not a weirdo. And number three, he's my God. Now, this might be a struggle for, for some of us, really. Let's just be honest. Some of us have been taught negatively about the Holy Spirit when I say he's my God, Perhaps you're just a little bit hesitant, right? So how hesitant are you to sign on with that statement? Because it's okay. I would maybe jot down in your notes, Lord, I'm a little hesitant. I, this, I'm wrestling with this. This is not a gotcha question. This is not Anthony trying to play some mental, emotional game with you. I'm just asking you to be honest with the Lord himself and just say, hey, listen, I, this, is, this, is, this is new. This might be a little overwhelming to call the Holy Spirit God. I don't judge. We're all at different stages in our relationship with God, and, and, and I struggle with things that you don't struggle with. You've overcome that. And maybe it's vice versa here and there. But if I say the Father is my God, we'd all sign on for that. Easy. Jesus is my God. We get that. But if I say the Holy Spirit is my God, and you've got a little bit of a pushback here, there might be something going on in your heart. And I'm not judging. I'm just asking you to talk to God about it. There's a lot of blank space on those notes. I'd encourage you to write down whatever the Lord's talking to you about right now. This is personal. This isn't with me. This is with the Lord. This is with the Holy Spirit. And what I would say is that he is a part of the Trinity. This is why two-thirds is not enough. There are so many, many verses that talk about the Trinity, not that we completely understand who God is and not that we can completely describe him to the minute detail, but we understand. We understand God is the Trinity. Consider John chapter 14, verse 16. And I, this is Jesus speaking, will pray the Father or pray to the Father, and he will give you another helper. All three represented there. Look at John chapter 14, verse 26. The scripture says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He's talking about Jesus there, right? And the Holy Spirit, there's God the Father. Look at John chapter 15, verse 26. But when the helper comes, whom shall I send to you? Uh, whom I shall send to you from the Father. So these are verses we've reviewed. The Trinity is represented every time there, but also consider this, Luke chapter 3, verse 22. And the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. This would be Jesus. He's being baptized. And a voice came from heaven which said, you are my beloved son, and you I am well pleased. So you have the Father, you have the Son, and you have the Holy Spirit. And their relationship is unique, but it's a, a, a relationship where they defer one to another. The Father glorifies and magnifies the Son. The Son only does what the Father says. And then the Son tells you that the Holy Spirit's coming, and when He's coming, and He's sending Him. And then the Holy Spirit leads you back to Jesus. This is a, a relationship amongst the three of them where they defer one to another. 
Here's two more verses proving that the Holy Spirit is outright God. Acts chapter 5, verse 3, it says, But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And then you bump down one verse later, you have not lied to men, but to God. So you lied to the Holy Spirit. You lied to God. So he's my helper, he's my friend, and he's my God. And this is really what I would want to emphasize to you this morning, is that he is a person. There's an, there are entire theological persuasions saying things like he's not a person, but he's a force, or he's a power. But the scripture, the scripture, my friends, say otherwise. But here's the reason, the, the really important reason, is that if you don't see him as a person, if you don't see him as a person, then you'll never develop a personal relationship with him. Why would you talk to the Holy Spirit if you don't recognize that he's an actual person? You don't develop a personal relationship with a force or, or with a power. So you have to realize, you have to admit, you have to embrace the fact that he is actually a person. And here's a shocker. The Holy Spirit really isn't his name. It's his description. It's his function within the Trinity. The, the Father is busy being the Father. Jesus is busy being the Son. The Spirit is busy being the Spirit. His name is God. That's his function. It's to be the Spirit, to indwell in us and to empower us and to lead us and to guide us, to live right there within us. That's his function. So he's a person. But how do we know that, you know, something is a person? I mean, you're a person. Tommy's a person. But you're sitting on a chair. How do I know that chair's not a person? Well, it doesn't have life, right? Well, you might turn around and say, well, a tree has life. That's true. But can you talk to a tree? I mean, you can hug them. And then like one slogan of a timber company says, you hug them and we'll cut them. So let me give you a simple definition. A person, a, this is so funny to, to me, not to you. A person has a personality. That's theological, right? That's a good theological definition. A person has a soul. Um, that's how you know they, they're not an inanimate object. A person has a soul, and according to Scripture, after all the study of hundreds of years, there are three parts to the soul, the mind, the will, and the emotions. We think with our minds, right? We desire with our wills, and we feel with our emotions. And so is it possible that the Holy Spirit is trying to help us think like God thinks, desire what God desires, and feel what God feels? And according to Scripture, He's living inside you doing this great work. So literally, if you want to know what God thinks about something, you have God living in you, and he can tell you what God thinks about something. He can tell you what he's thinking about that thing, that situation, or that person. He can tell you that. He can also tell you how he feels about it because he's God. And he can tell you what he desires because he is also God. See, that holy person living on the inside of you is so very important to capturing this understanding, and then living out this understanding of who God is. So here's, here's a thought. Number four, he has a mind. He has a mind. I say number one, I mislabeled it in my slides and in my notes, but on your paper, it's number four, he has a mind. John chapter 16, verse 13 says, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. And so how will he guide you into all truth unless he knows all truth, right? He knows it all because he's omniscient. The Holy Spirit knows everything. God can never think something he has never thought before. That's how much he knows. He knows it all. I'm not really trying to prove maybe that he's a person because we all probably have signed on to that at this point. But I think we're trying to see the benefits of knowing and realizing and embracing the Holy Spirit as a person. So here's one of the benefits of him having a mind. When he's living inside you, he knows everything, absolutely everything. And he has committed himself to being your teacher. So he can teach you absolutely everything. And that's better news than anything that you and I could ever come up with on our own. So if you haven't studied for that test, just kidding, you should have studied for that test. <laughs> but he knows absolutely everything. You have a person living on the inside of you who understands it all. 
But if you don't understand that he's a person and have yet to embrace the fact that the Holy Spirit is a person, you will never ask him for his help. You will never ask him for his knowledge. You'll never have a conversation with him. And he wants those conversations with you. He wants you to depend on him and he wants to teach you all things. Now, I've shared this story before probably, but when I was in third grade, I had this Holy Spirit experience. And when I got home from church that night, I was talking to God in my heart. And I was like, you know, Lord, I have a hard time reading. I have a hard time concentrating. I have a hard time comprehending what I read. And I feel this great stirring on the inside of me. I know this sounds crazy, but it's not. Or it is, I don't know. And as I was, as I was talking to God, I said, God, I, your Bible is just too complex for me. That, that's the kind of thinking that was going on. Did I know the word complex? No, but that's what I was saying. And God said, give it one more try. I felt the Holy Spirit stirring this up on the inside of me. Just try again. So I got out of my shower. I laid my little New King James Bible open, and I opened it, and I was able to read it without missing a beat. I had never done that before. And I understood what I was reading. And I was reading it with a new, found authority. It was the Holy Spirit teaching me. And that was a miracle in my own little life. And what I'm saying to you is that that too can be your story if you struggle with ADD or dyslexia or any of those kinds of things. But the truth is that he wants to teach you everything you need to know. He's living inside you. Do you know Do you know that that's what he wants to do? This is the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you. Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That's the Holy Spirit's mind. He wants you to have that mind. So number one, he has a mind. Number two, he has a will. Consider this in Acts chapter 16 verse 6. The scripture says, Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. Later on they would go to Asia Don't worry, they get there eventually. But here the Holy Spirit forbade them from doing that. The Holy Spirit was exercising his will. Have you ever exercised your will with your children? Like you will not have candy before bed and then you give them candy anyway because you're a sucker? I'm a sucker and my dogs know it too. Anyway, another obvious question. Since he has a will, And since obviously his will is God's will, and we want to know God's will in our life, why do we not get to know him, the Holy Spirit? Let me just say it another way. If you would like to know God's will for your life in specific situations, then all you need to do, and this sounds crazy, I know, but is to get to know the Holy Spirit. This is one of those number one questions. What's God's will for my life? Well, the Holy Spirit knows. And there's two ways you can know the will of God in your life. Let me back it up just a little bit. You can know the general will of God and the specific will of God. The general will of God, we know by his word. It's described right there in the scripture. The specific will of God, we know by his voice. So let me give you some examples. If you want to know how how to be married, if you want to know how to be married, how to treat your spouse, how to be a good husband, how to be a good wife, you can learn all about all of that. You can know the general will of God from the Bible, and God will provide all those great truths and principles for you there. But if you want to know who to marry, it's not in the Bible. I'm sorry to disappoint some of you, right? But the Holy Spirit knows who you ought to marry. I remember when I was uh, you know, a young guy. I was probably 18, and I really felt like the Holy Spirit said, you're going to marry Kristen, and I'm glad he said that to me because it was the best decision I ever made. And I think the Holy Spirit would like to be with you in every one of those decisions. Which job to take? Which house to buy? How to, you know, when to do this? How to, how to do this? If you want to know the general principles and the general truths, that's all in the Bible, how to operate a business. But do you need to buy that business? Do you need to chase that client? Do you need to do this? Do you need to do that? The Holy Spirit will give you the specifics. See, if you want to know how to pray, you must know the Bible. Remember, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us how to pray. But if you want to know what to pray, then you have to know the Holy Spirit. That's the bottom line. On our own, we we don't know how to pray. We, We need the Holy Spirit to help us. 
We love that verse out of Romans chapter 8, verse 28. It says, and we know all things work together for the good of those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. We love to quote that verse, write that verse down, internalize it, memorize it, share it, and preach it, right? But the two verses preceding that give us a little extra insight. This is the context. Look at verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So the way you're going to know the mind of God and the way you'll know his plans and the things that he would like you to do specifically is through the Holy Spirit. See, I think we're living in one of the greatest times that we could be alive because the Holy Spirit is here. Jesus came, he paid the price, and then he gave us the Holy Spirit. And that is a difference maker. There was a time in human history where God was only speaking through one man on planet Earth. And then there was another period of 400 years where we don't think God spoke to anybody. But then you look at this time and this period, and we realize that God is speaking to everybody. Consider Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. Peter stands up and he says, this is what the prophet Joel was speaking about. In these last days, he says, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and you're going to prophesy unless you can hear. How can you? Oh, boy. How can you prophesy unless you can hear God speaking to you? How can you do that if the Holy Spirit isn't speaking to you? And the scripture goes on. He says, your young men will have visions and your old men will have dreams. Unfortunately, I'm having more dreams than visions now. And that probably goes along with my gray hair. I don't know. But I think we're living in the greatest time, the absolute greatest time to be alive. It's a personal relationship. God wants that personal, intimate relationship with you and me. The Holy Spirit wants to be intimately involved and connected to our life. How strange would it be for me to say to you, hey, will you go ask Kristen, my wife, how many more children she wants as I stick my hand in my pockets, nervously waiting for the answer? That's not God's plan, right? You're the bride. You ask him. It's intimacy. So he has a mind He has a will and he has emotions. The bottom line here is that the Holy Spirit's real. If we skip down to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, the scripture says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed by the day of redemption. Grief is an emotion. And it says that the Holy Spirit can be grieved. And you can look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 through 32, and read what actually grieves the Holy Spirit. I don't believe we have time, but I would write that down and look at it later. But let me sum it up. Sin is what separates us from the Holy Spirit. Our brother Ryan preached a great message. Don't be a griever. Don't be a griever. And is it because the Holy Spirit's a prude and he doesn't want us to have fun? No, no, that's not it. He knows it's going to hurt you. And he grieves when you jump into that lifestyle of being willfully disobedient to him. If one of your children were to live that way, you would be grieved on the inside. Grief is sadness you feel when the intimacy is lost. You lose a loved one. They pass on. You lose the intimacy, and that's what makes you sad. You feel the loss. And you still grieve knowing that one day you will see them. Likewise, the Holy Spirit grieves when we willfully sin. You lose that intimacy. The worship team will come. The Holy Spirit knows that he's going to see you again. Because, really, you're going to go to heaven because you're saved. Not by works, but by grace. And the other foundation is a horrible foundation on which to build your life. But as long as a person walks in sin, that intimacy is lost. So he, the Holy Spirit, grieves 
because of that loss of intimacy with you. And more than anything, that's what he wants. As the worship team comes, I would close with this final thought. I got to preach in this great church in um, Wasilla, Alaska. It was such a fun service. And we gave an altar call and people came down. It was, it was a wonderful moment. The altars were f- full of people. And Pastor Daniel said, hey, you've got to start praying for people. And I, I got there, I got down, and I was praying one at a time, one at a time. And we ran out of time. And I felt bad about that later on. And I was, I was talking to the Lord about it. His point to me was, hey, they didn't really need to hear from you anymore. They needed to talk with me. If you would, would you stand with me? As the worship team comes... I want to open up the altars and I would just ask that you make a spot here. The last question on your outline is what is the Holy Spirit talking to me about? This is your moment to carve out a space where you just start to open up your heart and you allow him to speak things to you that no preacher, no parent, no pastor No one else but the Holy Spirit can speak to you because he knows you. and He wants that intimacy back with you. Two-thirds is not enough. It's just not enough. You need the Holy Spirit like you've never needed him before. So as the lights come down and as we prepare our hearts, Would you make a spot here at the altar and pray? Would you make a spot where you open up 100% and you say, Holy Spirit, talk to me. Just talk to me. Whatever you say, I'm listening. I want to be as close to you as I possibly can be on this side of eternity. As the music plays, would you make your way down?
feel it in my bones, you're about to move. I feel it in the wind, you're about to ride in. You said that you would pour your spirit out. You said that you would fall on sons and daughters. So about to move, feel it in the wind you're about to ride in, you said that you would pour your spirit out, you said that you would fall on sons and daughters, let the rain come drench us in love. Your glory rushing like a flood And we are fixed on this one day To know your goodness and see See it now, your kingdom come. I can hear it now, the sound of heaven. You said that if we ask, we'll receive. We're asking for the greater measure. Let the rain come, drench us in love. Let your power rush in like a flood And we are fixed on this one thing To know your goodness and see
Lord, we recognize you, Holy Spirit. We pray to you and we say, please do this work on the inside of us. Lord, I pray in your name, Jesus, that nothing would separate us from you, Holy Spirit, that this intimacy that you really want, that, Lord, we really want, that we would just start, Lord, removing those things, pushing them to the side, casting them out of our own life. And I just pray in your name. I I just ask, Lord, I'm, I'm asking for myself. I want the most intimate relationship with you I can have on this side of eternity. So I give it all to you. And I believe that there are those here this morning praying that same prayer. We give it all to you. Every jot and tittle, every distraction, every form of detraction the enemy has perpetrated upon us, we just say, we're going to deny that. We're moving on with you. And so we invite you in this moment, Holy Spirit, move in. Move into our hearts. Move into our lives. Do what only you can do. Know that our desire and our goal is to be intimate with you and no one else. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Bless you. The altars are still open if you like. decision to follow Jesus for the first time today, please reach out to us. We would love to help you take your next step. Please visit our website for information on upcoming events and how you can connect with the COS family. There is also a prayer request form where you can let us know how we can pray for you. Thanks again for tuning in. Hope to see you next week.